This is 169 Projects. I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. Downtown Washington, D.C.'s Terrell Place is an office and retail complex named after civil rights activist Mary Church Terrell, a founding member of the NAACP who led the protest against segregation at Heck's lunch counter in the 1950s. Building owners Beacon Capital asked ESI Design to transform the disjointed lobby, which is comprised of three connected components, including the former Heck's department store. ESI designers unified the space by treating it as a single canvas. Installing large-scale diffuse LED displays with reactive media on the lobby walls and corridor portals created a sense of connection across the building's common areas. The content is activated by passers-by via an infrared camera system. The resulting scenes ebb and flow with the pedestrian traffic inside the lobby. At 80 feet wide by 13 feet high, the largest media wall is visible from the street through the oversized windows that were once the display windows of the department store. I spoke with Michael Schneider, Senior Creative Technology Designer at ESI Design, about this visually stunning installation and its details, including ambient sound. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. I was wondering if you could start first by explaining what the project is and, and what it looks like. Sure. Um, the project is called Terrell Place. It's a commercial building in Washington, down, uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, it's... Uh, it's the uh, the location is at the old Hex Department Store, uh, which used to be a, a really iconic department store in downtown D- D.C. It was turned into a commercial building, as well as being joined with three or four uh, buildings that were around it to turn it into kind of one large office building. Um, and we were brought in uh, about two years ago to look at this lobby space and to kind of reimagine how this lobby and multiple lobbies and corridors with the joining of the different buildings could be a more active part in the, uh, the life of the building could really bring excitement in the space, uh, also to organize it in a, in a better way. Can you tell us uh, what's going on with the content when you're in the space? Sure. Um, so our our design approach for this space was uh, to organize the space by uh, really turning it from a purely art- architectural space, which was disjointed, uh, into a media space. And we used media as a way to connect uh, all of the different surfaces as you moved from from one lobby space through this long corridor into a second lobby space. Um, We covered about 1,700 square feet of surfaces with uh, with LED uh, that allowed us to engage uh, people in the building and people on the street with uh, with this media story uh, that at moments was reactive, uh, the media changing and shifting according to the movement of people. Uh, in certain locations, uh, is fully immersive, where you you kind of step into the media and 
are, are surrounded by the, the sound of it and the color of it as well as the actual content itself. And throughout this, uh, uh, let's just say this curated journey uh, through the space, we continually uh, are engaging with the people that are moving through the space as well as um, allowing them to be actors or performers in this, this big responsive environment that they're in. And explain to us what that means. I've seen the, the video of it, but explain to, to listeners what that means by, by being interactive or being actors. Uh, sure. So, um, you know, we've, we've put uh, sensors throughout the space that uh, can sense the movement of people through the space. And so uh, depending on the different content modes, uh, the, the content actually shifts and changes. So uh, we have a, a, a scene that is filled with the cherry blossoms of Washington, D.C. And as people move by, the buds grow and blossom. Uh, and if nobody walks by, they don't grow and blossom, right? So it's really the people's movement through the space that push spring forward. When you walk through um, an entryway or a portal that the media surrounds, uh, it's as if you bring along with you this this gust of wind and the, the branches near you shift and blow in the wind. And if you stop for a moment and pause in the lobby and look at the, at the wall, uh, a butterfly flutters down and kind of hangs out next to you until you go on your way and it kind of flutters on its way as well. So I want to get to some technical questions as to how some of those things are accomplished in a bit. But in a general way, what's behind all of this? In terms of like what kind of what kind of LEDs do you have on the wall and their their pixel pitch and like what's what's kind of happening in general technology wise? Sure, um, you know the, the core display technology that we have employed there is a it's a five point seven millimeter, so pretty much a six millimeter uh, LED. Um, it's uh, made by by VER, um, and it's really covering. Um, you know, all of the wall surfaces and around each of these doorways, which meant that we really needed to manufacture kind of custom sized uh, tiles to be able to fit these very specific architectural uh, spaces. Um, in front of the LED, there's a, a diffusion film uh, made by Garrett's. And um, this is about two, two and a half inches in front of the LED. And it's it's similar to like a front rear projection film um, where it diffuses the light, uh, but it also will um, will capture the light projected on its back surface, which uh, for us does a couple of things. Um, you know, this is a it's an installation where you you see the the media, you see the LEDs as far as 80, 100, maybe even 150 feet away. So when you first see them, you really see a canvas um, in, in the main lobby that's uh, almost 4,000 pixels wide. So it's a, a very high-resolution canvas, but stretched across uh, almost 80 feet of wall. As you walk up to it, uh, we didn't want people to be staring at the raw LED. Uh, and so the diffused surface really allows um, for, the, uh, for the LEDs to be really diffused and not seen as individual points of light. But it also has this kind of amazing effect where because it is a front and rear projection type material, the, the bright light from the LED actually uh, falls on or is, um, is landing on that 
surface, which is two or three inches in front of the LED. And so you almost get this three-dimensional feeling where the light parts move forward and the darker parts sit back and, and have a really cool effect. So that's that's the core display technology. Um, we have uh, FLIR uh, IR sensors in the, in the ceilings that are tracking... Um, kind of the, the heat patterns of the humans moving through the space. It was the easiest way to really differentiate uh, what's human and, and what's not in the space. So there's, uh, I believe that there's 13 cameras throughout the space that are doing real-time image processing to track the movement of people. We custom design a, a backend uh, to drive the content that is composed of custom media servers running uh, generative software using a programming platform called Touch Designer. Uh, and so that's what's doing all the high-powered image processing um, as well as playback. So in the in the cherry blossoms, we're dealing with 3D environments and 3D assets that are all individually controlled by different uh, real-time parameters. Uh, there's a uh, like an abstract color and motion um, moment, which is we call color play. That's a big generative particle system. And then there's a, a, a moment that really talks about the neighborhood, the architecture, uh, the monuments, the transportation of Washington, D.C. And that's um, really doing real-time image processing on existing uh, photo and, and video assets. So that's all driven out of uh, a media playback, a, a server that's running Touch Designer, We've got a redundant server, uh, as well as a solid-state media player for full redundancy. That's all running on the back end. That's uh, we have a Crestron controller that's doing supervisory control to let us know when there's any issues and allows us to kind of get in there, and monitor, and uh, really control this system. Uh, we've also developed a custom web-based content management system. That allows for both, you know, very detailed scheduling of content, but also allows us to go in and swap out assets, change parameters, and gives us some more control of the system. So that's kind of front and back end for the display system. Um, there's also uh, the audio system, which um, is is also really, I think, one of the more interesting parts of this project. Uh, we worked with a, a sound artist named Bruce Odland to really think up uh, what is the audio experience of this environment. And uh, we decided to only activate the areas that are pass-through areas. Um, one of the challenges with audio is if you're putting it into an area where people spend a long time, like a lobby space, uh, you can get burnout really quickly. Um, and so in this, in this installation, we have these long corridors that people walk through and, and really don't stop. And so these are great moments where you really step through this threshold, enter into this audio space, step through another threshold, and then enter into a new audio space. And you go on this kind of visual and acoustic journey. Um, the way that we accomplished this is we actually uh, played with shaping the physical space using sound. And instead of traditional uh, speakers or, or audio drivers, we 
we used these uh, tactile transducers uh, made by Clark Synthesis, uh, Clark Audio, I believe, actually. And they're, they're actually mounted inside of wood paneling on the sides of the walls. And so they're driving the walls, and the wall is actually delivering the, uh, the acoustics for the majority of the experience. So you walk in, and in the first hallway, you're kind of wading through the sound. It's, it feels lower. It's around, um, you know, it's, it's your level and below. <clears throat> and then as you move into the second space, which is a taller space, uh, we've added these tactile transducers that are up in the ceiling as well. And so the audio starts to shift spatially to be up above you. Um, and so uh, we've got speakers kind of hidden through walls and ceilings of this whole journey. And it's each one's being driven uh, as an independent channel. Uh, we have a, a really uh, complex and layered uh uh, audio environment that was built in, in using Ableton Live. And so the audio as well um, is constantly shifting and changing based on the environment, how many people are moving through the space, the kind of rhythm and pulse of the, the physical space as well. Uh, so that everything is kind of moving as this uh, continuous media experience. Are the audio and video connected or are they independent of each other? Um, so in, in some ways they're connected, meaning, um, you know, when you walk through a threshold and you trigger a visual event, uh, so the cherry blossoms fall when you, when you walk through the threshold, that event will also trigger an audio event that's associated. Um, the composition of the audio is actually all based on, um, this, the building is named after a civil rights activist. Uh, Mary Church Terrell, who um, uh, she staged a, a very well-known, a very famous lunch counter uh, a boycott at the department store that, that was the site of this this building, and she had a very deep connection with music, and uh, our our sound artist uh, learned about this, studied on about her connection with music, and took inspiration from some of the pieces that she talks about in her writing as the basis for the acoustic environment uh, that, that he built there. So the, the source material is, is its own story, but then the pacing and the response is all based on the visual. And, you know, the, the sound artist spent, you know, hundreds of hours sitting in the space um, with the visual content and kind of building up the layers and the complexity of the audio space from this library of assets that he had built based on this um, this amazing woman's connection and, and relationship with audio. I want to ask you about working in such a historical space, but before that, uh, if, if you, I'm, I'm sure there was a limiting factor, whether it was budget or the availability of technology, but if you were to, to do the project from the start again, would you... Uh, go with a tighter pixel pitch, or would you still want to go with the film over top? I assume the film. I assume the film over top was uh, necessary to kind of cover up the the wider pixel pitch super close up. So I'm, I'm just curious now if you were to do it again, where you'd kind of fall on that. Um, it's an interesting question. You know, we do a lot of different projects with LEDs, and and we've worked with um, 
displays that are, you know, 1.2 millimeter pixel pitch, so quite high pixel pitch. Um, personally, I, I'm a fan of, of softening it because one of the things that it does by having the, the film in front of it is it really makes it feel like it's an architectural media material. You know, it's almost like a, a stone or a brick or, you know, something that feels like it's meant to be part of the architecture where I find if, if it is just the raw led, even if it's super high resolution, it still feels like a display. Uh, it feels like something that is like built into the architectural space, but isn't of the architectural space. And so, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of that little piece of diffusion. Um, and it also, the three dimensional, uh, effect that, that comes from it as well, uh, gives it this kind of magical quality. So I don't, um, I, I would say in this case that this was really the appropriate technology for this installation, um, and, and really added to the overall quality and excitement of the space is there's a, there's a magic to it too. And there's a, there's a softness implicit to it that makes it that you're not just watching a screen, right? You're not just watching TV or a billboard in Times Square. You're actually engaging in something that, um, has been designed specifically for delivering this content. So it's a historical building. Uh, what kind of uh, issues did you have or what kind of learnings did you have in trying to put such modern technology and a boatload of it into such an historical place? Yeah. Um, you know, we've, let's see, we've worked in a number of landmarked or historical buildings um, in a number of cities around the country. Um, in this case here, the biggest challenge is uh, you know, we were, were far enough off the sidewalk or from the street that we didn't actually come up against any sort of zoning issues uh, as far as what we can put in there, which, which we've done in, in other installations, had to really work closely with the Landmarks Commission or the Historic Building Commission, where in this one, we did a few preliminary calls with them to just so they're not surprised so that they know it's coming and uh, to understand some of the um, uh, the regulations and, and all of our stuff fit within those those regulations. Uh, so then as far as the actual architecture, you know, we wanted to work with a, a material or a medium that that felt consistent with the existing architecture. So we had to pay a lot of attention to all of the details of you know, the bottom trim, which we had to make sure that we could have a flow of air that cools the, the LEDs that slides up uh, between the film and the LEDs. And so, you know, we have this custom milled uh, base that goes along the whole uh, display that allows the flow of air. And we just had to work very closely with the existing material so that it all matched. I'd say the other piece to that is... Uh, the, the existing floors were very reflective. And so one of the things we did very early on is we, we built a large scale mock-up that we brought on site about a 10 foot by 10 foot uh, square of LED uh, so that we could see the effect of this technology in the space. Uh, and we actually decided 
to hone all of the floors so they were not as reflective, uh, so that it kind of ground the, the floor plane a little bit better. Uh, and that was a way for, we, for us to really understand the materials that existed in the space and understand what needed to be done to, to integrate them into our design. Could you maybe explain at what point you're brought into the project and what those early stages were like in terms of developing ideas or whether ideas were already baked into the project? I'm curious how that all kind of comes together in the very early stages and how much kind of input you had on things. Sure. Um, with, uh, with this client, um, they they tend to bring us in to projects very early. They really they have a building. They know that this building is one that they they want to to be more engaging, uh, that they want to spend some money to create a higher quality of, of life for the tenants, as well as uh, figure out how to you know engage with the the broker community and even the local community that the building's in in a in a more um, kind of contemporary and compelling way, and. And that's really what the brief is at the beginning. It's like, hey, here's this building. Um, it needs to be more relevant. It needs to attract more um, interesting people uh, to it. And what can we do? Um, so <clears throat> it's a pretty broad brief. Um, it's just like, do something cool. Um, and then we, we go down and you know what we find is that when we're working in, in commercial real estate, uh, you really have to understand the building, like the rhythm of the building, the environment of the building, uh, the building management team, the broker community, the current tenants, the desired tenants. And so um, our team of designers will go on site and spend a day uh, really getting a deeper understanding for uh, the building and the kind of hopes and desires for what the building could be. Uh, we do a lot of documentation. We take sightline studies. Uh, we go up on the roof. We go up on roofs of adjacent buildings to understand what you can see. Uh, we interview a lot of people, tenants, brokers, building management. And then uh, we come back and we make a, uh, a report, like a, a, site, a site report, uh, where we go through and we say, okay, this is what we saw. Um, here are some areas of the building that we think there are real opportunities to uh, to do some moment of engagement, some piece of storytelling. So we think we want to use this surface and this surface and this surface. Uh, and then we pull together some precedent from past projects that we've done or other stuff that's out there to look at with the client and say, all right, these hallways aren't working at all. Uh, it really feels disjointed when you walk through it. Uh, we just want to cover all of these walls in LED, <laughs> and we'll do uh, a quick sketch of how you could tell a media story across those walls. And you know, we might come up with three different approaches, three different ideas. Uh, we'll review it with the client. They'll have some input, um, and then we start to iterate on our design from there. So that's the that's like the very early part of the design. I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafane. Hi there. This is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage. You can find us at mahlerdso.com. 
We plan, install, and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising, and retail. We don't sell PCs, we don't sell screens, we don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Maller Digital Signage, we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs, from small to large networks, with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Matter, we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital signage networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mallardso.com. Could you tell us a little uh, about the process behind putting this together? Sure. Um, you know... As, as soon as you start dealing with non-traditional displays, displays that, you know, are not um, just a 1920, 1080 LCD that you're throwing on the wall, uh, it, it really means that both myself but also the larger design team and the client all have to understand this new technology and how to, to best use it to tell a story, how to best integrate it into the space. And so... Uh, we, uh, here at ESI Design, we start very early uh, getting our hands onto the technology. So in this, in this design, for example, as soon as we got past our initial um, site report, uh, I called up some vendors. I say, hey, I need to get my hands on some LED. Uh, I want to set it up in a, in a warehouse and look at it with the client and look at it with the design team so they can understand, you know, if this is really the right approach, um, what's the level of resolution that's required. And so really within um, a month of, of starting this design, uh, we were standing with the client, with the design team in a warehouse in Secaucus, looking at 10 millimeter LED, six millimeter LED, four millimeter LED, uh, all with diffusion in front of it. Um, and together we all were able to say, okay, we want this, uh, 5.7 millimeter LED. Um, you know, we actually like taped out the whole space on the floor of this warehouse. So we knew what it would look like when you were on the sidewalk, when you walked through the door, when you went to the front desk, and then when you walked right up to it so that, you know, there's no surprises and we're creating the content that's uh, appropriate for that technology. We then actually brought that model to site uh, that big mock-up to site, 10 foot by 10 foot, about a month later. And we looked at it um, again with the owners, uh, but also with the broker community. and Because these are the people that are going to have to find new tenants for the building. And so we brought them into this process that so they understood what these changes were. And they, have, uh, they definitely had input as well. Uh, after that, it got set up in our office uh, so that as we went into the production process, we were able to, in real time, look at the, the content on the actual medium uh, while we're developing it. We also um, uh, took a, the 3D model of the space and we imported it into a game engine, into Unity. And we, um, so we built this whole kind of pre-visualization environment so that we could uh, program the content on the, the media server it would then spit it out to the actual technology, a slice of it, about a six foot by 12 foot slice of the actual technology 
and it would spit it out into this 3D uh, visualization of the space that you could walk through. Um, and you could actually, in real time, affect uh, the different pieces of the, the media. So the, the cherry blossoms would open uh, as you walked through this game environment. And it gave ourselves the ability to really uh, fine tune and, and hone this, the content for the space um, without being in the space. And uh, it enabled us to, I would say, get 90% 90, 90 of the way to fully completed. And then it also allowed us to figure out what are the parameters that are going to be needed to uh, change when we're on site. So, you know, we need we know we need to change how fast things move. We know we need to change the scale of elements. Um, we know that we need to change, uh, you know, how much is responding. Um, so all of those parameters, we in effect worked with our developers and said, okay, we want a knob that we can turn for each of these, you know, 23 parameters uh, so that when we're on site, we can really tweak this visual output uh, to really marry perfectly with the space. How accurate was the, the experience within VR compared to the experience standing in front of it? How well did they compare it purely in terms of the, the impression that the content made upon viewing it? You know, I would say that uh, it was it's it's quite close. Um, I'd say that if we hadn't done the on-site mock-up, we would have been surprised by some things like reflections um, and uh, kind of long-distance sight lines. So it, it turns out you can see this thing from more than just across the street, but like down the streets away from it. So, um, and I think that. Um, you know, there, there's there's color. I guess that's the the one, the biggest thing that um, we really had to work a lot with on site was color, um, because while the the VR gives you a sense of color, uh, the actual colors of the space, the existing flooring, the walls, uh, the ambient light from outside and from the architectural fixtures, are things that are are really difficult to super accurately represent. Uh, in in a three-dimensional or virtual space. So, um, you know, there was a lot of kind of fine-tuning of, of color palettes once we got on space to create something that is is visually harmonious. And what about the content strategy? I mean, that's, you're, you're covering entire walls with content. What, what was the thinking behind what to do with the content? And also, what's the plan kind of moving forward? You've got, I think, three or four scenes now, but, you know, what am I going to see in, say, two or three years? So the content strategy is really based specifically on the building, um, the location of it, the tenants, uh, the pace of the building. And so we go and we look at and understand those things. And then we, we come back with uh, some different ideas for how we're going to approach this. So in this case, we want it to really be about um, Washington, D.C., um, and we also want it to be about the the rhythm or the pace of the people coming in and out of the building. And so uh, we turn to these these iconic cherry blossoms as a way to root it in kind of a more natural uh, D.C. scene. Uh, we decided to really talk about the more urban part of D.C. and this kind of uh, montage of, of photos and videos that we're highlighting 
monuments, architecture, and transportation. And then we did this, this abstract color space that really was the responsive to the, the flow of people in and out of the space and was about the color and the speed of the, the people in the space and out on the street as well. So that's, um, those are the three kind of big media uh, approaches that we came up with for this one. Um, you know, for each of our properties, they're, they're, they tend to be very different based on, uh, on the, the neighborhood and the building. Uh, so that it's stuff that's really relevant. Um, going forward, you know, when we design, uh, when we design the content and the, the systems that generate the content, we think a lot about how to create, um, media systems or, or visual systems that, uh, can can shift and change based on real-time data, uh, based on different sort of real-time inputs. So in this case, each one of these scenes is always is always slightly different and changing than it was before. So depending on the the direction of the sun, the time of day, the speed of the wind, depending on how many people have walked by a specific part of the wall, um, it's always slightly different. It's always shifting uh, based on those pieces. And what we've seen from our past experience is that if you've got a, a display that is changing content every 30 seconds or every minute or 90 seconds, then people expect that display to always have changing content. Um, you know, you build the expectation for content by how you present it. So if you've got, if you think of like a big piece of digital art, uh, that's kind of always the same, then people are like, Oh yeah, that's that digital art thing. That's always the same. And people no longer have, um, that expectation for constant change. So we we're always kind of riding in the middle of those two extremes, I would say. Um, so we put the detail, uh, and care into building these scenes, uh, so that they, they are somewhat evergreen. Like they're, they're beautiful. They're the, you know, we've had, we had some amazing artists build these environments so that when you, uh, so that you're always finding something new in it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really one of our goals is to build something that can give the people who come to that building every day, uh, something new to find in the same scene so that it becomes familiar uh, it's not just like, oh yeah, it's another scene about the sports that's going on today. It's like, it's, oh, this is that cherry blossom thing. And Hey, did you ever notice that when you stand over here, these butterflies come out and, um, oh, look at that. You know, there's so many people walking through this doorway. And so you've got these crazy blossoms that have bloomed all over that space. So, um, that being said, you know, we imagine that in a couple years from now, uh, we'll build some new scenes. We maybe will do a uh, um, a slightly different um, cherry blossom scene that has a different aesthetic approach. Work with a different set of artists to create it, or we might um, add some new uh, photos and videos for the the urban um, Washington D.C. scenes, the, the cityscapes, uh, and the the generative color systems. Uh, has a whole control panel that lets us go in and build whole new generative systems that are using the same core 
uh, algorithms, but can create incredibly different and diverse visual outputs. So it has that flexibility to to always be tweaked and changed, but we're also maintaining uh, kind of the identity of that of that installation. Was there any consideration either at design or in the final installation for uh, being able to use that space or the, the, the screens in that space for more traditional digital signage messaging? And I'm thinking for like a special event to be held in the lobby where they could put, you know, welcome messages up for uh, sponsors or something like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so um, we actually, in the, in the elevator bays, uh, integrated into the larger kind of soft uh, LED scene, there's two high-resolution, ultra-thin bezel, like planar 55-inch LCDs. Um, and that's our moment for delivering some more traditional uh, kind of digital signage-style content. Um, so in a lot of our installations, we really take this approach where we do something large and architectural and kind of lower resolution that really creates the sense of space. And then we use these kind of slices or windows of very high resolution to deliver a more uh, traditional or quantitative, let's say, um, more exact data content. So on those screens in this space, uh, we're running live feeds that are based on local events. So we have a a, a template that we've built that's always giving uh, the local events in, in 10 venues that are nearby. We're showing uh, trending topics in Twitter that's based on a series of, of Twitter accounts uh, that are about local food and local politics and things that are specific to that area. Uh, we're giving the, the local weather report. But while all this is going on, the background of those LCDs uh, matches the color palettes and movement of what's going on in the larger uh, LED screens. It's also a place where um, building management can go in through a web interface and they can type in "welcome new tenant" and it will it'll show up there on that screen uh, to to kind of do whatever event or or new tenant welcome message that that they want to do. Um, that being said, we also um, you know, we create holiday media for the large screen. And, you know, so when they have their big holiday party in the, in the lobby, uh, we've got these beautiful snowy scenes that are still built on the same generative uh, color algorithmic system. But uh, we've got snowflakes that are blowing around that as you move through the space, the snowflakes uh, attract to you or, or fly away from you. Uh, and are part of this larger scene. So, um, you know, there's this, I think in all of our designs, there's this kind of uh, coming at it from two sides, creating space and then delivering content. And we do that usually in, in two different places. And what's the argument to be made for having ambient content like this on a scale like this versus having, you know, money-making, messaging-based content? So, you know, for, for this client, you know, they are a, a, a commercial real estate investment and development firm. So for them, what they really care about is, uh, you know, creating, a, a, adding value to this, this properties that they own. 
and creating an environment that is going to, you know, attract better tenants, which means that the tenants need to be able to attract better talent to work at their companies, uh, which means that you have to create an environment that is more attractive and more exciting for uh, the employees that are going to be working in this building. So um, if this was just traditional branding, it's not going to do that. Right? To, to, um, what does that is um, activating these spaces to feel like, uh, like they're part of something that's exciting, bigger, that has uh, a rhythm that, you know, when you walk through that front door, uh, you feel like you're entering a place that stuff is going on, right? And that's, I think that's for our client the most important thing is that you don't want to walk into this lobby and feel like you're either in some weird, uh, you know, uh, castle or mausoleum or prison or uh, school building. Uh, you want to feel like you've stepped into this lobby and you've just stepped into a place where uh, stuff is happening. It's really exciting. There's people that are using these public space, these amenity spaces. So people are having impromptu meetings in the lobbies and in these hallways. And uh, you're part of a really active community. And I think that the designs that we do really uh, enable that to happen. And so for this owner, it's, it's, it's very valuable and it's brought an, an incredible amount of value to their properties. I think that's a perfect way to end things. Thanks for your time today, Michael. Sure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. That's all for this episode of 69 Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, now that's cool, I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the 69 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 169, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group, the massive media empire my buddy Dave Haynes runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at mahlerdso.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.